Welcome to another episode of Iron Sharpens Iron, where we believe who you surround yourself with matters. And at the heart of this belief is Proverbs 27:17, iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Welcome back to another episode. Today we have a another guest student coming on. Um, her name is Chloe Kramer. Um, so hey, Chloe, how's it going? Hey, how are you? Good, good. You want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah. Um, what you do at the Newman Center? Um, yeah. Uh, what you do with your spare time, stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I go to school here at NDSU. I'm a psychology major, but I do a lot of my work in the pro-life movement. So I am in a fellowship with Students for Life of America. I help organize pro-life ministry here with Bison Catholic. So I spend a lot of my time advocating for the unborn or studying because we got to do that. It's the principal vocation of a student, right? To study. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Now, Claire, you, you have kind of an interesting tidbit that uh, you were in Washington, D.C. the summer, right? When a, a kind of a big event happened. Yeah, yeah. I went to a conference with Students for Life of America. They flew us down and we showed up at the conference and they're like, well, we're going to send you guys to the Supreme Court. That was the day that Roe was overturned, but we didn't know that. They just were like, we're going to get you in a big van. I was in the van with Christian Hawkins. Um, so that was exciting. She was yelling at people out the window. <laughs> That's awesome. And she's like, are you pro-life? And people gave her this look like, who is this crazy lady? <laughs> yeah, and if you guys don't know who Kristen Hawkins is, she's the, the president and founder of Students for Life, right? Yeah, yep. yeah, and she is amazing. And I got to, I kind of was near the front and I hopped in the van with her on purpose. I was like pushing people. I wanted to ride with her, but yeah, be we, bold. <laughs> it was, it paid off. Um, but yeah, we were at the Supreme Court the moment that Roe was overturned. We didn't know that, but we were there when Kristen announced the decision and that was super historical and a really cool thing for me. Yeah. That, was, I, that had to be surreal to be right there, given that you're dedicated to the pro-life movement and the pro-life work. And to now be able to say, I was at the footsteps of the Supreme Court the day Roe got overturned. That's got to be so cool. Yeah, it is so crazy. We held newspapers, and I was like, wow, I'm going to tell my grandchildren about this someday. Yeah, that is that is amazing. Yeah, I'm a little jealous. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, can't believe God chose me to be there, but I know he has a plan. Yeah. yeah. No, I remember yeah. looking at the day it happened, and I remember looking at my phone, and I'm like, what? That did what just happened? Is this real? And right. then I'd like, I like I Googled it everywhere and I'm like looking at all the yeah. different media sites and I'm like, is this happening? Yeah. So I couldn't even imagine what it'd be like to actually be there and then someone say that it's overturned and you're like, nah, you may, maybe a little skeptical at first and then yeah, just everybody starts talking about it. Because like, we've imagined what? it for so long and now we now the hard work starts in that, that it's a much smaller pitched battle format where we're we're fighting over local laws and trying to shut down abortion mills on that, that local level. So Yeah, 49 years, which is crazy. That's three times the time that I've been alive. But I, I, I mean, <laughs> there's, I, I, it was before I was alive even. I'm the old guy in the room. So Yeah, yeah. that's crazy. If it, if it beat out Nate, you know it's now. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> so give me my cane and my walker now. Yeah. <laughs> but on the topic today, we're actually talking about human dignity. So... Yeah, I guess. What's, what, yeah. what does that even mean when we talk about human dignity? Yeah. So I think the important thing to first understand is what does it mean to be human? And what does it mean to be a human person? Um, because, you know, when we look around creation, obviously there's a certain respect that we have to have for all things that God created, um, whether, whether it be, you know, the beautiful forest, the fish, the animals, um, that majestic mountain range, all of that. There's a certain value to it. Um, but I wouldn't raise it to the level of dignity, right? Whereas human beings, human persons, 
have a, a higher dignity. And so where does that come from? So the first thing to maybe note is what is a person? So a person is, uh, by the definition of a lot of philosophers and theologians, um, a, a substance with a rational nature. So an individual being, you know, one entity of that, a substance with a rational nature, which means that a person has an intellect and a free will. I mean, those are kind of the two main distinguishing factors of, of personhood. And so there's, there's all different types of persons, right? We're human persons, but there's also angelic persons. They also have a, a intellect and a free will. And then, of course, there's divine persons, the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's a communion of persons, God, um, in, in that Trinitarian relationship um, where, you know, the Father pours himself out to the Son, the Son pours himself back out of the Holy, uh, to the Father, and that love being poured between them is the Holy Spirit, right? That procession that proceeds forth from that love. So there's a, a relational distinction within the Trinity of, of those three persons. So a human person then is a human, so we have a body and we have a soul in union with each other, and that we have an intellect and a free will. And that distinguishes us from all things in creation. So, you know, the deer that, that a lot of people are going to be hunting very soon in these parts of the world yeah. does not have a free will and does not have a rational intellect in that, that regard, doesn't have reason um, like they, they have an animal intelligence, but not a, a rational intelligence. Yeah, they can't really distinguish between what's good and what's evil. Exactly. And then some people will point out, well, my dog knows what's good. I mean, he won't go on the couch when I, and it's, it's a trained instinct that animals have. Um, when you, when you train your dog, either you're, you're giving him a spanking or you're uh, giving him a treat for doing a certain thing. And that dog is a trained response at what is going to help him, um, I guess, survive. Yeah. So, but then you look at um, human persons and you see that that they distinguish what's good and evil. And a good example of this, I yeah. think, is the martyrs to look at. Yeah. I mean, they're not doing what's going to help them live longer. They're doing. They're they're seeing what's good, what's true, and and right. what's beautiful, and that's what and they're choosing. They're choosing that over yeah. and above any temporal harm that might come to them, any temporal evil they're going to suffer. Kind of a funny story, not about the martyrs, but um, uh, my wife told me this story about um, my, my daughter, uh, Bernadette. She's five. And, um, you know, last night I had um, my son. He was at our, our trail life meeting. So it's kind of like Cub Scouts, but not a depraved version of it anymore. And, uh, and so uh, we, we were at trail life. And so she had the other kids and she was working on some things. So she kind of sent the kids off to the house to play. And my daughter Bernadette came out and, and her fingernails were all red, right? And what she had done is she had taken some like lipstick or lip gloss and like kind of half painted her nails. So my <laughs> wife asked, she said, Bernadette, what, what were you doing there? And she said, oh, well, I just dipped them in the sandbox and they came out like this. <laughs> and so, okay, and my wife was like, that's not what happens when you put your fingers in sand. What happened? And then she said something else. It's completely off the wall. We always joke, this one's going to write fiction, like her imagination. And then finally, my wife walks her into the bathroom, points to like the, the lipstick on the counter and says, are you sure that you didn't just put that on it? And then finally she caved and everything. Okay, fine. It's, but it, just what you're talking about, this notion of free will, like, she knew very well what she had done, you know? And it was like, it was humor. Like my wife was just trying not to laugh because it was just hilarious, the whole thing. But she got caught doing something and she chose 
to try to hide from it, to try to run from it. And so you could mm-hmm. choose this good or evil either way because it's a function of our, our free will and the, the fact that I can look at it and I can actually walk away from the good or endure the evil. Yeah, yeah. Um, I guess as a, as a culture, um, l- looking at it as, I guess, a, the secular culture in the world, how do you, how do you guys think that they view the, the uh, concept of human dig- dignity and free will? Yeah. What do you think, Chloe? Wow. Um, that is such an interesting and full question because our culture is very surrounded by this idea that our dignity comes from things that aren't going to last and that aren't eternal whatsoever. And even in my psych classes, they'll say that we don't have free will. And I'm like, well, if that's the case, then where does our dignity come from? Where do you get this idea that you matter? And I think that's interesting culturally because when we believe that about ourselves, there are so many instances where it shows up in our relationships and the way that we care about other people, the way that we approach things like marriage and our relationship with God. Yeah. And so what's the response that they give? Do they give a response where, um, you know, human dignity comes from? Or if we don't have free will, where what bestows the significance of, of the human person? Because obviously the world has a certain measure of concern for people, right? There's always a cause out there that they're championing. And that cause may shift with the wind wherever, you know, the the secular architects may may drive it. But but there's always still something that, that they say, oh, no, 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 this is the thing that's important and these people matter. So where, where do they give an answer to that? Um, not that I've heard per se, yeah. but it's such an interesting thought because it's like, if we don't have free will and we weren't given a divine uh, choosing to choose something greater, then what does that make us? Are we cosmic accidents? No, absolutely right. not. Yeah, we were planned by, by God to be here, but if we don't believe in free will or we don't believe in divine providence, then where does that come from? Right. It's yeah. a much harder question to answer if, if it's not something that's bestowed from outside of us. Yeah. And I would say the secular culture... Um, you know, there's this dualism that's happening. It's, it's like this Gnosticism, where on one hand, they say it's a radical materialism, that the only thing that, that is, is matter, um, is the material order of things. Yet, on the other hand, they say you are completely self-defined. You can define who you are, whether you're a boy or a girl, regardless of what your body uh, constitution is, whatever your chromosomal constitution is, that doesn't matter. Right, you can determine that. Uh, you can determine or base it on uh, sexual preference. So, what are your appetites? Or you can base it on anything that you want on who you are. So, and then that you can shape your body in a weird way. So, it's this weird sort of disconnect between body and spirit, mm-hmm. um, matter and intellect or idea. Yeah. And, and and they they almost reduce in a paradoxical way to say it's only ma- material. But you can totally define that however you want, which is an entirely non-material claim. And I think you know? a lot of people, they'll a- avoid some of the science and some of this because it's, they say you can do whatever you want, uh, whatever, what, whatever pleasures you the most. Um, and they completely ignore like the science behind like what happens in the brain when you do this. Like, um, right. for instance, pornography or those who've had abortions and what happens, what comes next after the abortion. Um, you see right. a lot of like, mental trauma that goes on with these people mm-hmm. and they, they need to find help and they right um sometimes they find help sometimes they don't but a lot of the time the issue is ignored because people say 
well, you do whatever makes you happy. Right. And sometimes what sounds like is going to make you happy at that moment isn't going to be helpful for you yeah, it's in not, the future. It's not long-term. It's not lasting. Yeah. It's not lasting. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, and so I think, you know, maybe to try to sum it up is they, they, they deny that there's any such thing as a, a objective, an objective human nature, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. That, that human nature is entirely pliable, entirely autonomous and formable to the individual. Um, and that, you know, in this cosmic accident thing that you were talking about, Chloe, that, that somehow we, you know, eh, well, good thing that we just kind of spit out this, this massively, impossibly complex thing called the human person um, that we just kind of happen to be. So, yeah, you can do whatever you want. Yeah, and, yeah. and it just doesn't port with, with any of um, the results in society. I mean, we don't see a more flourishing society right now. What we see is more division, more hatred, um, you know, more discord in all of these arenas because now people don't have anything that unifies them together, not even human nature. They can't even say that we have a, a common human nature bonding us together. Now it's become this socially defined thing only where if you can rally a certain social consensus and have the power to enforce that, that particular consensus, then that's what reality becomes. And that, that can be no basis to have any sort of stable society, stable culture built on it. Yeah, we're, we're seeing a culture where we just don't care about other people. And it's like a me, myself, and I type of situation. If I, like, I matter more than the baby in my womb. I matter more than the person sitting right next to me. If I want to choose something, I should be able to choose whatever I want. Because if there's no sort of divine nature that governs us, I can do whatever I want. And that brings so much hatred, like you were saying, and division. Because we can really just... We don't have to love one another, right? It makes it so that we don't have to serve one another in that way. Yeah. What would you, what would you guys propose as a solution, I guess, to those people yeah. out there who are um, they're so focused on the idea of just love yourself, do what's good for you. I mean, you should love yourself. You should do... Um, There's an appropriate yeah, you know, exactly. self-care, self-love. I mean, it's uh, our, our actual principal... Um, um, starting point of charity is is love yourself in the sense of love your neighbor as yourself right so we actually have to understand how to uphold our own personal dignity as a human person and to be able to show our self-love if we're going to overflow and be able to love others yes but how do we teach people to sacrifice themselves for the other for other i think let's start maybe with what really is then um the source of our dignity because I, you know, we mentioned that we're created in the image and likeness of God, that we have an intellect and a free will. But you know, I mean, there's there's deeper desires that God has placed within our hearts um, that He bestows upon us when He created us in His image and likeness. And it's it's just a fascinating thing that um, you know uh, the the Vatican II document uh, Gaudium et Spes actually has a first the first full chapter in that document is all on the dignity of the human person and, and sort of parsing this thing out and even touches on this atheistic secularism in it before it kind of concludes that we find our fulfillment in, in Jesus Christ, that he as the perfect man is what fulfills our, you know, the desires of our hearts and the longings and makes sense of the chaos that's surrounding us and, and all of the sin and the death and the division that we see, that only him and his cross and his resurrection can actually make sense of that. But it, it has this really cool line in, in the beginning. This is in, in paragraph 14. It says, Though made of body and soul, man is one. 
Through his bodily composition, he gathers to himself the elements of the material world. Thus, they reach their crown through him, and through him raise their voice in free praise of the creator. So when you think of all of creation and what, what sets humanity apart, the church is actually teaching here that all of creation actually finds the, its crown through us, through human persons that a tree doesn't actually have any inherent dignity per se in itself outside of the fact that God created it for man and has entrusted it to man for our stewardship and that, that we can um, glorify him through these other elements of creation. So I think right there that shows that there's a human exceptionalism, that, that man is not just one among many other creatures. He is the crowning jewel, if you will, of all of God's creation. Uh, he was made last, he was made male and female, and God saw that it was very good. And so I think the, the source of dignity then resides in the fact that God made us and willed us into being and made us in his image and likeness so that uh, we could pursue him and praise him and worship him. Yeah, and and in that creation, we, we all have the desire to love and, and to be with God, and I think that's something that a lot of obviously a lot of people in the secular culture ignore and they ignore right. that and i think it's because they don't know what it is they everybody talks about this hole that they have in their heart right and what is that god-sized hole that's in your heart yeah it's god and that's it and it's and so what we all long for then is happiness and that's something i think you can probably if you were to do one of those on the street polls where you just grab passerbyers put a microphone in front of their face and said uh hey what do you think the purpose of life is and in varied ways, they would all mostly spit out some version of, well, I want to be happy. And so when you think about what's the purpose of human life, well, if it's happiness, then you have to, the next question to ask is, what produces happiness within the human heart? And there the church has an incredible amount to say, you know, mm -hmm. whether it's, it's living a right, up, uprightly moral life and, and being in alignment with the natural and divine laws God has created, um, or whether it's, it's in giving yourself out over in love to another person. Those things are the things that produce for true and authentic human happiness. And those aren't bound by circumstance. Mm -hmm. No, no, you know, mm -hmm. attribute of a person, you know, not skin color, not uh, sex, not, um, you know, uh, economic class, any of these other, whatever attribute you may assign to somebody does not diminish their human dignity and the fact that they're made with this innate desire to give and to receive love. Yeah, we, we are seeing sort of in our culture this idea that your circumstances do define your worth, and we're seeing that if only we could change that, if we can change to another gender, if we can hook up with more people. We are trying to find that in these cultural things and these material things in our world um, that only God can fulfill. But you see people trying to find it in other places because they were made for greatness. They're just looking in the wrong spots. They are. Um, so when it comes to our role, we're called to love them. Jesus changes people. We love them. And I think like being countercultural, being someone who says, I actually think that you have inherent dignity, no matter what your circumstance is, because God created you to have dignity and worth from the moment of your conception. And sometimes being that light to love other people in a very, very dark world is one of the best things we can do because we're showing them that there's more. Yeah, and there's an attractiveness to it. When we're living that authentic life that God created us for, 
and none of us do this perfectly, right? We all sin. We all fall short of the glory of God. So I don't ever want to make it, hey, be exactly like me because I'm perfect. Um, no, we, we all fall short of this in ways, but that's where we lean into God's mercy. But there's something very attractive about living that Christian life and that Christian joy which overflows that, that sort of surpasses any argument that can be made uh, by the world against it. And they actually, it draws people to us. I know that's what drew me out of the world and back into the church was the fact that I saw Christians living the Christian life and they were joyful and I wanted it. Mm-hmm. I was I was intensely jealous of them in the best possible way. And I'm like, yeah. what you have, I want. And the yeah. good news is it's freely avail- available for all people. So it wasn't like, well, I have it, so you can't. It's like, no, come and see. It's something we are all searching for all the time. We just try to find it in what culture says is going to fulfill us. And tragically, culture is saying, if, you in- if you're involved in hookup culture, you're going to be happy because you're going to feel love. And that's just not the case. And we know that. So we're trying to call a society higher to see human dignity in all interactions because this idea of human dignity, it shows up everywhere. It's, it's not just how we view our relationship with God. It shows up in the way that we love one another. And I always say that the way that you love other people is going to inspire someone. Yeah, and that's spot on. And and I think the thing that people are looking, like you mentioned hookup culture, right? What they're looking for is communion. Mm-hmm. They, there's still this innate desire deep in their nature, whether they acknowledge the fact that they have a, a, an objective, noble human nature given by God or not. And they're searching that they see something that, that's there that if I am in communion with other persons— and they're doing it in a very disordered and, and sort of perverted and twisted way. But that there my happiness can be found. And there's a, just a sliver of truth in there that they know that they were made for this and their happiness is going to be found in this. They're just seeing it in a very disordered way and pursuing it, you know, ruled by their passions. Because that's one of those effects that happened after the fall. Um, that our intellects, we mentioned intellect and free will, mm-hmm. our intellects became darkened. And our will became weakened. And so what then happened with the passions, those appetites, those desires, um, you know, the, those longings for the true good that, that might be hard to pursue, those got all flipped around. And now all of a sudden these passions and these, these appetites, these emotions start ruling our intellect or ruling our will rather than our intellect. Yeah. And so when we dr- when that starts driving it, people all of a sudden say, well, you know, whether it be food or sexual pleasure or material possession or uh, attainment of status and power and things like that, they go after these things as if that's the source of their happiness. Whereas really that's a, a more base desire. And if it's put in its proper order, um, those things can produce good things in, in the designed way God has made it. Yeah, God made all things good. Sometimes we just take it and we twist it to be bad because all things can be used for bad. We can, and I, this is more of the awkward example, but I always say God made sex good, yeah. but we take it and we twist it to be something not so good. Right. Yeah. Um, and people see that, like when uh, people feel that when they're, they're in these relate hookup, they're in this hookup culture and they, they just feel something missing. It's because they're, it's not inherently evil. It's just... Mm-hmm. It's, it's disordered. It's, it's disordered. So. It's not being used for its intended purpose by right. God who created it. And culture is lying to a whole generation of young men and women 
they're saying that this will fulfill you A, B, and C. Maybe it's drinking, maybe it's partying, maybe it's hookup culture, but we're also saying that you didn't matter unless your circumstances lined up perfectly. And I do think that that has led to more anxiety and depression because if we oh, believe yeah. that, mm-hmm. if you don't matter at a certain stage because maybe your circumstances weren't perfect, why do you have to matter now? Like what changed? Maybe your circumstances aren't perfect now again. So yeah, I the, think... The reality is in this life, your circumstances are never going to be perfect. No, no. That's the deception there. And is, that's, that's kind of the point. We need God to help yeah. us through those things. Yeah. And, you know, in, in that same document, Gaudium et Spes, um, one of the Vatican II documents, it goes on to say that we actually have a duty then as Christians to emancipate, to free people from being enslaved by their passions and by this disordered way of living. That we actually, as a call, as a part of our baptism, that, that we have a duty and an obligation to set them free, or at least to work towards that end. And mm-hmm. all of us were a beneficiary at some point probably of somebody else helping set us mm-hmm. free from those things. And, and that just that Christian fellowship that, that helps us and calls us higher is such a key part to that. Yeah, dignity means that we were made for more than slavery. Yeah, That's exactly what the Bible says. He says, I didn't create you to be enslaved to things of this world. Yeah, yeah. And, and so to maybe cap the point off then, what are we made for? What we're made for communion with God. That's ultimately what's going to produce our happiness. Uh, and that's also where our dignity lies, is the fact that we are created by God for God. And by virtue of that very fact, that, that he has set us uh, apart, that he's made us and created us for our own sake to be in communion with him, is the thing that sets us apart from the rest of, of creation, it is yeah. that simple fact. And so if, if people aren't in communion with God, there's always going to be a misery in their life. There's always going to be a disorderness. There's always going to be that social discord that we see so rampant in our world right now. Yeah, and I think to touch on that point where we're called to, to bring people to freedom, um, I think in um, the Catholic Church you see like a, two, two extreme sides to this. You see mm-hmm. on one side you have people who can be seen as hateful and they're like, no, they, like, they, they just go out there and say it like it is. Um, but sometimes people look at them and they're like, that can be construed as hateful. Yeah. And it, they think like, hey, I'm doing this, so it's it's bad and I'm never going to be accepted in heaven. I'm never going to be loved by God. Right. And then you have on this other side, um, super extreme, where people are like, embrace your sexuality, embrace all this that you yeah. have because God gave it to you. Yeah. So if you're experiencing same-sex attraction, go embrace it. Because God like, made you that way, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And they're, yeah. they're telling you to embrace this sinful life that you're living. And on both sides, you're not really embracing human dignity to the the full extent you got to bring them to that that ground where you know meet them where they're at and then show them how god loves you and how how these acts are disordered and how you can you know change and what you what you can do but don't be loving throughout the process don't um but by being loving it doesn't mean saying hey what you're doing is right right you're loving someone by saying hey this is wrong but god loves you and he is calling you to have a relationship with right. him. Yeah. Let's find out how Love you can have Love is willing the good of the other, not yeah. saying live in your sin. The right. reason we love people is to, we want them to go to heaven. That's what love is. I yeah. want to see your eternal soul in heaven with me. Yeah. And I think often of, of that parable of the prodigal son, where the one son lives um, that life of dissipation. He goes to his father, 
and basically says, hey, I wish you were dead. Give me my inheritance now. And then he goes off and he squanders it on, on prostitutes, on loose living, and he finds himself entirely impoverished, a famine hits, and then he has to actually rent himself out to a swine herd, which was an unclean animal in Jewish culture. So he had to be lower than low. Um, and so he was lower than pigs. And he realized that, wait a second, I have a father back at home and I'll go and I will, I'll just be a servant. I'll ask to be a servant. I won't even ask to be a son because I've, I recognize that I've squandered this whole living, that I cared more about things than I did about him. So he goes back and what does the father do? He never stopped loving him. He let him go, right? It's not like he didn't say, well, hey, look, you, you can't go. I'm going to keep you penned in. He actually respected the younger son's freedom in such a way that he allowed him to actually have that part of the inheritance and actually harm probably the whole estate, his whole operation, and then let him go because he actually loved him and respected his free will enough. You actually can't love aside from freedom. You can't coerce somebody to love you. You can't force somebody to love you. It has to come through your free will act. And the son, recognizing this innate human nature within him, this dignity that he had, that, wait a second, I'm lower, like I'm slopping around in mud with pigs. This is not who I am. And he goes back to the father. And the father, I think, is really telling. He looks for him. He sees him in the distance, on the horizon, and he runs out to meet him. So, I think it's really important that in this whole thing of like when people are living in those lifestyles that there's something about it that we may not be able to force them out of it. That there's a certain, okay, that is your choice, but I'm not going to stop loving you. But neither did the father go with him either. So I'm not also going to go into the situation with you necessarily. I'm going to wait. I'm going to love you. And when I see you make that turn because I trust in that, that conscience that you have deep within you, I'm going to come back and I'm going to meet you. I'm going to be the first one to meet you there. And I, I love just to kind of close the thought out. You know, the older son, he, you know, was a little bitter. Even though he was around and quote unquote followed the rules all the way down, he became very bitter because he also didn't love the father in the way the father deserved to be loved. He saw the father as an instrumental means to his own pleasure. And so he, was, he got mad when the younger son was brought back into the fold and they slaughtered the fattened calf and had a big party for him. And the father's line is, is very telling in this. He says, son, you have always been with me. Everything I have is yours. And I think that's the trick. That's the key to human dignity is that in communion with God, we have all of it available to us. And in fact, none of the material things have the same luster or lure, allure to them that they do when we look at them in of themselves in a materialistic sense. All of a sudden we say that the relationship with the Father is what this is about. And my dignity starts because he made me and ends because I'm made for him. Yeah, no. And another thing that I just want to bring up that I love about human dignity and just the person, like even in the secular culture, um, as far one-sided as you can get, you can see like, even if they they preach all these things, like you can you can look in like, a, even the in Hollywood, you can see the, the you know, the want for human dignity. Like um, I think Michael Knowles and, and Matt Walsh and Bishop Robert Barron, they'll point out some movies that, you know, they do really well and they're not made with like this, uh, this pro-life um, 
idea, but in or and these Christian values in them, but mm-hmm. they just happen to come up. Like uh, I, th- I think the example I was thinking of was a quiet place, yeah. where it wasn't necessarily made. I th- I'm pretty sure the director John Krasinski, he, he's Catholic, but he says he's he's also pro um, pro choice, um, from what I know, and donates to all those. But anyway, the movie he made, he <clears throat> the I think the wife is pregnant in it, but then they point out like they decide to have this baby even though they know it's going to be that the this whole situation that's going on yeah and it's inherently pro-life because they know the human dignity and people know this and yeah. they, they're just afraid to say it i think yeah either afraid or they just don't know what they're feeling is what i'm thinking but yeah, yeah. but you, you do you see it all over the place like that there mm-hmm. is a default position and they don't even realize uh, despite the the ideology that the world secular ide- ideology the world professes, that the default that they still adopt it without even thinking about it. Yeah, and so many yeah. of these stories, you see them rooting for this character, um, whatever movie it may be. The the character is the character who is loving the and in, in yeah. showing human dignity and saying, "Hey, I'm going to yeah. fight for this cause." And all good films have that central element to it is that there's this sacrificial love for the other and against all odds that there it is they 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 were able to sacrifice lay down their life save that person and that's what draws people to good stories and films because it resonates it aligns with our human dignity and our human nature we seek it whether we know it or not yeah (laughs) yeah it's really it, it really shows that it's on the you're built into your soul to love another love humans and to love God and that you're attracted to loving the creator and loving the human person. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not something that we can then design away, which is really what the secular world's trying to do is, is trying to engineer uh, human nature away, engineer Mm -hmm. human dignity away to what, I don't know. It's a diabolical impulse that the world has um, yeah. and, and I think it is, it's, it's Satan himself behind the scenes, architecting all of this, that is, is trying to make things in his image and likeness to, uh, war against God and mm-hmm. all these lies. He's the father of lies. They, they all are rooted in kind of the, the fundamental lies of the garden that, that somehow God is not trustworthy. Our and souls are so yeah. precious that he's after them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so it's just, I think recognizing that Satan himself is behind a lot of these attacks on our human dignity. And it's always, yeah, these things that are so good that the devil's going to take and try to um, pervert in any way that he can. And um, if you look deep into it, like sex, you can look into it and mm-hmm. it, it is good, yeah. but in the right circumstances. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah. When it's life giving. Yeah. I mean, and that's, I mean, the, the more uh, I've grown in my vocation, married vocation as a husband and father, the more I see my children in, it's just, it, it becomes so clear, the whole design of the whole thing, because they themselves now are an eternal creation, right? They're going to be there for all eternity. And I don't know, there's just something about, there's a, this, this lasting note. They didn't exist before they were conceived. And that is just a, a powerful thing to contemplate, because I can't imagine the world without them. And, and so I think... You know, when you're looking at all of this design uh, that God made into humanity, there's such a mystery to it that, that sort of supersedes and transcends all the, the stuff of the muck of the world that they, they care about, you know, and trying to have the, these false views towards, 
anything from human sexuality to wealth and power and privilege and things like that. It just doesn't accord with that innate human dignity that, that God has made within us, that it's in the simple things. It's, it's you know, holding your child. It's friendship. Um, it's loving somebody at their deathbed where even at the end of their life, they have nothing bodily in terms of attributes that can, can be of any worth. There's no, no value in the sense of a utilitarian aspect of it. They can't do anything for anybody else. They can only receive. Um, and as their body wears out, they still maintain human dignity. And it's still good simply to care for them. Even if that care is honestly at sometimes in a bodily sense grotesque. It's not, it's not a clean and easy thing when someone becomes the end of their life incontinent and can't control their body and can't move around under their own power and entirely requires somebody else to care for them. And that's where the secret lies. Yeah, yeah the mystery. And yeah. it's yeah. just on that note, I, I just thought of, you know, people who support like euthanasia. Right. And I'm thinking about that and I'm like, where is this person? Where did they stop mattering to society? Right. Is it wow. when they crossed a certain age? Um, yeah, what or line? maybe yeah. did they lose a, Did they lose their le- limbs? And it's why like, do what? we get to decide what the line is? Your exactly. life has either always mattered or it hasn't. And the moment we start deciding, then we get to engage in things like genocide. Yeah. We've seen this all throughout human history. We don't get to choose when people do and don't matter. We don't have that type of power. Only God does. Right. And he says we all matter. And that's the objective truth, not the subjective truth. That is the unwavering truth, is that we all matter. And I say unapologetically that your life has always mattered. From the moment of conception, yeah. And yep. I think it's important when you you know, get into these conversations with people to ask them just so that they can think of it, not necessarily looking for an answer from them, yeah. but just ask them so they can ask themselves, when does human ding- when does it stop and when does it start? Yeah. Because when, did, when will I stop mattering? If you're talking to a friend, when will you stop mattering to them? Yeah. Is it... When you lose a finger? Is it when you lose a hand? Is it when you lose all your arms and feet? Is that when they're going to let you right. um, commit assu- assisted suicide? Is that when? Right. And, and notice what they stops? do with, with that whole thing. They, they really use euphemisms very powerfully. Death with dignity. See what they did there with the, you know, the, almost the, the, the iteration of that, that death with dignity. So they've co-opted that word dignity to say, well, it's so evil to suffer. And maybe this is where we can tie it all together to um, chapter uh, or paragraph 22 of Gaudium et Spes. It's probably my, my favorite single passage in, in all of the Vatican II documents. It's absolutely beautiful. It's a little long, but I'll, I'll kind of pull quote a little bit from it because it hits at this whole point and it kind of brings it together of, of the meaning of suffering, the meaning of human dignity, all this. And so it starts saying, the truth is that only in the mystery of the incarnate word does the mystery of man take on light. For Adam, the first man, was a figure of him who was to come, namely Christ the Lord. Christ, the final Adam, by the revelation of the mystery of the Father and his love, fully reveals man to man himself and makes his supreme calling clear. It is not surprising that in him all the aforementioned truths find their root and attain their crown. And then so it goes on to to sort of parse out a lot of that, you know, this interplay of sin and suffering and all of that. And so 
he, he goes on to say that, or the church goes on to say, the Christian man conformed to the likeness of that son, who is the first more born of many brothers, received the first fruits of the Spirit, by which he becomes capable of discharging the new law of love. Through the Spirit, who is the pledge of our inheritance, the whole man is renewed from within, even to the achievement of the redemption of the body. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the death dwells in you, then he who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also bring to life your mortal bodies because of his Spirit who dwells in you. Pressing upon the Christian to be sure are the need and the duty to battle against evil through manifold tribulations and even to suffer death. But linked with the Paschal mystery and patterned on the dying Christ, he will hasten forward to resurrection in the strength which comes from hope. All this holds true not only for Christians, but all men of goodwill in whose hearts grace works in an unseen way. For since Christ died for all men, and since the ultimate vocation of man is in fact one and divine, we ought to believe that the Holy Spirit, in a manner known only to God, offers to every man the possibility of being associated with his paschal mystery. Such is the mystery of man, and it is a great one, as seen by believers in the light of Christian revelation. Through Christ and in Christ, the riddles of sorrow and death grow meaningful. Apart from his gospel, they overwhelm us. Christ is risen, destroying death by his death. He has lavished life upon us, so that as sons in the Son, we can cry out in the Spirit, Abba, Father. And so I think, you know, it's long, but paragraph 22, Gaudium et Spes, captures the essence of this human dignity and the human drama that's swirling around all of us, that only in the Son do the, those riddles of death and sorrow make sense, that the suffering begins to make sense, and that it doesn't diminish our human dignity, but in Him, it actually brings it to its fulfillment and its crown. Wow, yeah, that's... That's beautiful. That's a lot to, a lot lot to digest. A lot yeah. to digest there. So yeah. beautiful. Take it to prayer. That's what I would recommend to anybody um, listening to this is next time you go into prayer, uh, print it off. You can find it online for free. Print it off. And even just if you read that paragraph 22, it's such a condensed summary of the Christian life and what the church teaches on human dignity. It's just so poetically written. It's, it's beautifully written. And take that to prayer and ask God to show you those areas in your life where you need to trust in him more so that you can attain this union, this communion with him uh, in order to sort of grow and build in your realization of your own human dignity and be able to see it in others to love them. Yeah. How beautiful is it that we get to rely on the God that created us yeah. to get us through these situations? And people always say, why do bad things happen to us? Why do, why do we have to suffer in these ways? Well, Bad things do happen to good people, but one good person, and he paid it all for us on the cross. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess closing out here, um, coming to the last few minutes of the episode, I want to ask, uh, how, how can we create a culture that upholds human dignity? Uh, we kind of touched on it, I think, a little bit in the episode, but just to end things, how, how would you leave with, with saying one thing that we can do to create a culture that upholds this. Yeah, intentionally find somebody to love, whoever whoever that may be in your life. You're all surrounded by them. And I'm not even asking the people to, to go out and find the most radical person to love that they possibly can. No, look around you in your immediate sphere of your circumstance 
and then beginning begin caring for them in a way that's true and authentic towards their human nature. And sometimes that might be hard conversations, but sometimes it just might be your presence with them because what the world maybe is starved most for is just friendship. We, we just need to be good friends to other people and be present to them. And that fire uh, uh, you know, of love will be stoked within them and they'll start to realize that they are loved. And that should draw them deeper into the gospel over time if your relationship with them is, is authentic and genuine. Yeah, the power of authentic love for one another is one of the most powerful tools that we have in our tool belt as Christians. We have this ability to love them absolutely no matter what and bring them to a higher standard, to a standard that gets them into heaven. And we are simply called to love the people that are around us because God didn't place you in the place that you are by accident, because like we said, there's no cosmic accident. God plans everything. The people around you need you to love them. There's people everywhere that need you to love them. Yeah. And I would say, you know, just quoting the gospel, love your enemies. Um, yeah. And when I, when I say love, I don't mean accept the, the sin, but, but love them and be there for them and be an example for them too. Yeah. Um, love them by your example, love them just by showing that authentic love to them. Definitely. Yeah. Um, but yeah, um, <clears throat> any any last words from you guys? I think I'm... No, I think I think we got it. I think we, I think I think we covered we it. it. All I right. think so. Well, thanks, Chloe. I hope Chloe, someone for... listening could feel their dignity. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And if you, if you got something from this episode, we ask you to share it, like it, um, subscribe to see what we got coming up. We got some... Um, cool episodes coming up next. So yeah. subscribe to uh, see what those are. Yeah. And definitely, definitely tell your friends about this so that, that, you know, word of mouth and invitation and, and text it over to them um, so that they know that this podcast is out there because we want to reach as many people as we can with this great message of the gospel. Yeah. I know you guys have social media, so share it. Yes. <laughs> All right. Thanks, guys. God bless. Thanks for having me.